Hey everybody, I'm Drew Martin, and this is the Mobility Minute Podcast. Mobility is sometimes hard to define, and this show is designed as a platform for forward-thinking individuals who understand the importance of mobility as a form of recovery. Today, we talk with Dr. Guy Fergala. Dr. Fergala has over 45 years of experience as a healthcare professional and is recognized as one of the pioneers of safe patient handling and mobility efforts in the United States. He has lectured throughout the world and is a recognized international expert in the application of ergonomics to the healthcare setting. Currently, he helps and supports a number of organizations, vendors, and facilities with their safe patient handling and mobility efforts. In 2012, he was awarded the National Advocacy Award for Improved Caregiver Safety and in 2017 awarded the Bernice Owen Safe Patient Handling and Mobility Research Award. His book entitled Ergonomics, How to Contain On-the-Job Injuries in Healthcare, published by the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Organizations, has influenced much of the work today related to healthcare ergonomics and safe patient handling and mobility programs. We hope you enjoy this recording of the Mobility Minute podcast. Let's get to Dr. Fergala. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Fergala. Let's hop right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you consider your area of expertise? Well, Drew, I, uh, my educational background has been in engineering, undergraduate mechanical, and then my doctoral area was in industrial engineering, where I specialized in ergonomics and human factors. From there, um, went on to work, started with an insurance company. It's kind of an interesting job where I did loss prevention and risk management work. I was um, trying to help insured clients reduce losses related to workers' compensation. So that got me into the occupational safety and health area. I learned about a lot of different jobs, what a lot of people did, and tried to figure out things that we could do to manage risk. I went on to work for the DuPont Corporation, where I learned a lot about corporate cultures and safety. And that's where I began actually watching people work, because we would do some audits and surveys Uh, looking at work practices. And I might go to a plant for two weeks and watch people work for two weeks, look at how they conducted their jobs and see see if it was done safely. I was approached by the University of Wisconsin and asked to come teach in an occupational safety and health program. At that time, people were looking at how ergonomics and human factors could be applied in the occupational safety and health world. Uh, A lot of different areas. We looked at musculoskeletal injuries, how people interfaced with equipment, and tried to optimize this this interface. Well, I was um, on a leave of absence from the University of Wisconsin when I was approached by the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. They wanted a, a director of environmental health and safety. And I wondered, why in the world did a healthcare organization want someone to deal with occupational safety and health? And it was an interesting position because not only did I have this faculty appointment, but I was responsible for the occupational safety and health of all the people that work there. And uh, realized that caregivers in healthcare were one of the most at-risk groups for injury. So it was a a very interesting position. Uh, It gave me uh, a good professional opportunity. I've worked in healthcare most of my professional career, yet I'm not a clinician. But I've interfaced with many clinicians, and together, we've pursued some pretty good solutions. Now, you mentioned the terms human factors and ergonomics. What exactly is human factors, and why is it important? 
Okay, well, ergonomics and human factors, uh, some folks use the terms synonymously, and they are quite similar. And basically, um, what ergonomics and human factors tries to do is to optimize the match between the interface of the person doing a job and the actual task at hand. And when I say try to optimize this interface, what we're trying to do is we're trying to design jobs to fit people and the capabilities of people and not expect people to adapt to poor designs. In theory, it makes a lot of sense, but if you go out there and you look at a lot of the systems people are dealing with, a lot of the tasks that they need to perform in their day-to-day -day work, we find very often that we really don't see these optimum interfaces. And when we're talking about occupational safety, one of the big areas where ergonomics has been uh, very helpful is uh, prevention of musculoskeletal injuries. Uh, because musculoskeletal injuries generally are what we call a cumulative trauma disorder. It doesn't result from one acute event. It's something that happens over time. So that if people are continuously exposed to some types of occupational risk, this, this trauma is cumulative, and over time, people will develop um, injuries. And uh, when we're talking about musculoskeletal injuries, from an occupational perspective, one of the most serious has been back injuries. And how have you tried to integrate concepts of human factors or ergonomics into the hospital environment? Nurses and caregivers, people delivering care, are one of the most at-risk groups for occupational back injuries. So, so ergonomics, I, I have found to be quite applicable to, to the healthcare industry. You know, we're concerned with lifting, lifting loads, but when people are bending, the trunk of the body is quite heavy and the musculoskeletal structure must support the body in that bending posture. Ergonomics and human factors practitioners have found that repeated bending is a very high risk activity. And when we're trying to control risk, reduce risk, reduce exposure, if we can reduce the frequency of what's been determined to be a high-risk activity, we can really make some impact into reducing the risk to that, to that person and the jobs that they do day in, day out, year in, year out. Based on your efforts and experience with safe patient handling, how do you see those efforts evolving into safe patient handling and mobility? And how would you define mobility as applied in the hospital? My experience has been in, in, in safe patient handling for many years. Uh, when I was at UMass Medical Center, I, I recognized that nurses were the group that was suffering the most occupational injuries. And I looked at the way this work was being done and how we were trying to prevent these injuries and reduce the impact of these injuries. For years, what was done was we taught people how to lift properly. Well, I looked at the research and found that over the years, people who were researching this, areas, this area constantly found that teaching people how to lift properly in the healthcare environment had no impact on reducing occupational injuries. Well, I wondered, you know, why is that the case? Well, I looked at the jobs and I looked at the job tasks and these nurses and caregivers were lifting people, repositioning people. And you think of how heavy a person is. You know, we've got 200 pound patients. Those might be some of the light ones. We could have 300 pound patients. That's quite a heavy load. And we we're expecting these nurses 
to move and lift these people. So what I learned and what I found out was that no matter how biomechanically correct we, we were performing these lifts, because of the loads involved, we weren't reducing risk to the caregiver. Okay, so that was the safe patient handling part. If we could change the way this work was done, we could reduce risk to the caregiver by not requiring them to lift these heavy loads. So I looked at the equipment that was in use. And this was probably in the late 80s and early 90s. There was a device called the Hoya Lift. Many people in healthcare have heard of the Hoya Lift. This was a device that was developed in the 1950s. It was actually a small engine lift, if you look at it. The concept was good. It was designed to lift, but the original design was to lift engines and was to lift equipment, not to lift people. So the idea of eliminating the lift for the person was a good idea, but we needed to develop better equipment to do this. So in the early 90s, I saw uh, some new equipment that was coming over from Europe, new types of lifting devices, and began exploring those devices and uh, how we could take these devices and, imp and implement those into the practice of delivering care. How could we give these nurses and caregivers some new tools so that they could do their jobs better, more effectively, and safer for them? If you look at some of the evidence today, you mentioned the term mobility. Mobility is becoming a more important part of the practice of, of delivering care to caregivers in hospitals. What we've learned is that we don't wanna keep people in bed, make them inactive, because there are so many downsides to this. The research today is consistently showing that if we can mobilize patients early and often, we can dramatically improve outcomes. This evidence base is growing. People are accepting the fact that we need to mobilize our patients. And if you look at this task, the tasks involved in mobilizing patients, many of them are the tasks that are required of caregivers that we've identified to be as high risk activities from an occupational risk perspective. So that, so that what we need to do is we need to use technology to develop new ways to do this work. You know, initially we use this technology to reduce risk to the caregiver, but we've got added benefits. If we can facilitate moving, lifting patients, we can make it easier for the caregiver to mobilize these patients. And as the importance of mobilization grows, and we want people to mobilize patients often and early, we can use some of these concepts and ideas and technology that we've developed uh, in the safe patient handling world. Now, I, I think we're at the very beginning of this. When you think of the equipment that's begun to be developed, I think we're very early on. And I think there are, I, I don't think we've even begun to conceive of how we can use technology in the, in the healthcare world. When I talk about cross-fertilization, I think about all of the technology and the many industries that we have, and how can we take what's been learned in other industries and apply it to our healthcare world? If we can take technology and improve 
a process or a task, we can make it easier for that caregiver to do things that are going to benefit the caregiver and also benefit that patient. So I think we're at the beginning of a real technology revolution in the healthcare industry. Uh, thank you for hitting on the importance of technology and innovation in healthcare. Um, let's talk measurement when it comes to this technology. Do you think that measuring some aspects of patient mobilization is important? And how do you think we might go about effectively beginning to measure patient mobilization in the hospital? When we look at how we make improvements and how we gain additional evidence, we need measures, we need measurement, we need to collect data. And when we're thinking about mobility, we're pretty early on in this process. Right now, we know mobilization is good. The research has told us we need to mobilize these patients, as I said, early and often. But how often? How much? You know, what is good? I think that's data that we need to collect and evaluate to help us better understand what is required in these mobility programs. We need some capabilities to collect this data. I think we, in the past, we've depended upon the caregiver to record in charts, but that's not a good use of the caregiver's time. I mean, the caregivers, we want them out there delivering care. If we can develop better means to collect this data for the caregiver, we're going to be much better off because we're going to let the caregivers do what they do best, be at the bedside and deliver care. So as we consider technology, we need to think about how can we use available technology to collect and gather data. Now, I'm sure that there's a lot of technology out there that can be used to collect and gather data more effectively and more efficiently than someone watching what's going on, considering what's going on and writing it in a chat. You know, we're moving towards electronic medical records. You know, I think we can interface with these electronic medical records, new ways to capture data. And then once we, we capture this data, how are we going to use this data? One of the things that I've often thought about is how we collect and use data to create good information, good information that's going to help us make good decisions. When we're talking about mobility, I think that we need to start collecting this data. We need to evaluate it. And that's going to help us determine what mobility program should be. In addition, you know, if we want to motivate people to do things, if we measure, I mean, that's a good motivator. You know, if you're not going to be, if we're not, if we're not going to measure something, if, if nobody's going to know what anybody does, you know, people may not think that it's important. I think that if we can measure, it's going to really, really stress the importance of what's going on. And it's going to allow people to take some ownership. They're going to understand, you know, what they're doing, what they've done, and they may consider, well, maybe I can do this better. So I think this, this, this data collection is going to help us create the programs we need to establish related to mobility and mobilization. And then once we've established these programs through collecting additional data, it's going to help us improve. It's going to help us get better. You know, we collect a lot of data related to what goes on with the patient. We do tests of the patient, but we need to understand what goes on in that patient care environment so that we can make improvements to that environment. So I think we need to look at what technology is available that's going to enhance our data gathering capabilities and to free the caregiver from this task of trying to 
collect this data manually and manually record it. Guy, I want to get your thoughts on ownership of mobility efforts in the hospital. How important is ownership when considering the potential success of any program or effort? Drew, that's a, that's an excellent question, and that's that's going to be really important to the future of mobilization in healthcare. Because let's consider where we are right now, and where that ownership might lie, and let's think about where it where it might end up. When we think of mobilization right now, of course, we're going to think of the physical therapist. Let's think of traditional rehabilitation protocols. We have a therapist that has a prescription to come at a certain period, uh, uh, for certain periods of time, and do rehabilitation activities with a patient. This might only be three times a week for half an hour. When we're considering mobilization, you know, as I said, I'm not a clinician, but I recognize that that I don't think this is enough. You know, when we're talking about mobilization, we hear the terms early and often. Well, when the physical therapist isn't there doing rehabilitation, some folks might think, well, this is the nurse's responsibility. Well, you know, let's think of our caregivers and just think of all that they are tasked with to ask the nurse to do this mobilization, especially in today's environment, that might be somewhat impractical. Maybe there might be other medical technician positions that could assist in this area. I think right now we're sort of, we're sort of a conflict. Who owns mobility? Is it a nursing function? Is it a rehab function? I think that's the basic conflict right now. I think we need to look into that. We need to determine where it might lie, but I think we're going to evolve and find there may be a better way of doing this. And you mentioned, um, you know, across different areas of healthcare. I think mobilization has to be something that we, uh, that we do across the entire care of a, of a patient. You know, right now we have a lot of different specialties. You may have a patient in a hospital, you've got different physicians coming in for different purposes, not knowing what's going on with the other part of that person's care. They might come in once a day, once every two days, So I think we need to look at mobilization across the entire spectrum of that patient's care. So we need some way that we can communicate to these various caregivers what's going on with regard to mobilization so that they understand what's happening with that patient and so that everyone takes an interest because I think mobilization is important to the entire process of delivering care to that caregiver. We know that it's. We know that it improves outcomes. We know that we can do it. it it's you know we talk about non-pharmaceutical interventions. I think we're going to see more of that. You know what what can we do for this patient from a from besides giving them some type of medications? There's a lot of other things that we can do to improve that person's care. So if we have a better understanding of what's going on across all providers for that patient. I think we can really make some inroads into improving and improving that care. Well, Guy, I want to thank you for your time today and sharing your expertise on safe patient handling and mobility here on the Mobility Minute podcast. It's kind of exciting to be part of this. And I thank you guys for allowing me to be part of it.